Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for once again tuning into Spiritual Insights. Today, we will be, again, exploring the world of publishing with Antoinette Kuritz. If you tuned in to our previous segment on publishing in September 2013, you learned that in 2012, over 2 million new books were published. That is over 10 times the number just five years prior. 80% of Americans say they have a book inside them wanting to be written. But if you are one of the 80% who feel inspired to make an impact on the world through publishing, you would better learn the game before you get up to bat. We've all heard of who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. It's perhaps the best written and remembered comedic skit of all time, performed by the greats Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. But it's also a perfect way to describe the confusion, misinformation, and outright fraud that is now part and parcel of the newly democratized world of publishing. Self-publishing in the Internet certainly opened the gate for you to get onto the field, but the tenfold increase in published books has also helped the crooks, so the publishing game just got bigger, not easier. Returning to the show is publishing expert, book developer, publicist, media coach, and author, Antoinette Kuritz. The business of writing is her heart. A former educator and bookseller, Antoinette turned her love of words into a multimedia enterprise, taking writers from inspiration to publication, and has represented new authors to New York Times bestsellers and everyone in between. Antoinette, it's a pleasure to have you back and to talk about this important topic. Thanks so much for having me because there's so much information to share on this. And, and I'm looking forward to doing so today. Yes, and we'll be going a little deeper than in our previous discussion um, about the world of publishing. So let's start at the beginning with the who's on first, what's on said, the Abbott and Casello reference. Um, where, you know, where should we start? Let's start with who's on first, because it's you. Um, you're the one um, you have to look at. You have to say, who am I? I'm actually, I actually just turned in my, my course list to the La Jolla Writers Conference this year, and mm-hmm. one of the courses I'm, I'm doing is entitled, Who Am I? You have to decide who you are in the world of publishing, meaning why do you want to write a book, and what do you want to say, and who's your audience? So who am I? Who am I? What do I want to write? Who am I looking to speak to? Okay. And, 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 and once you know that, once you know that, once you've got a picture of your audience in mind and you know mm-hmm. what it is you want to say, then you can sit down and you'll find that your book comes a lot easier to you. Okay. And so does so, your marketing plan for it. 
I see. So you identify your audience first. Mm-hmm. You identify and yourself first. Who am I? Identify self. What is okay. it that I want to say? What's my expertise? What makes me the person to write this book? Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. I okay. have a, a very dear friend who published a book on romance in the 1990s. He self-published it before self-publishing was acceptable like it is today. And he sold 2 million copies of that book. It was an enormous hit. In fact, every Valentine's Day it is still featured in bookstores all over the country. Really? And then he segued for a while into writing business books. It wasn't his thing. I mean, he wrote wonderful business books, but that's not what he was known for. That wasn't his audience. There are so many writers who already have a foothold in that audience. Mm-hmm. And he's coming back to romance, but he's now also writing, besides his nonfiction books, he's also writing fiction. He knows who his audience is. He has, he's re-examined and re-realized what it is that he most loves to write. And that's where okay. you have to be at when you sit down to write. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, what, after you identify who you are and what your voice is and who you're speaking to, what do you do next? The next thing you do is write your book, and that's the hard part. Um, you know, a lot of people say, 80, more than 80% of Americans say, I have a book in me. What's the difference between them and the people whose books you read? The difference is, is the pe- people whose books you read, they, they put their bottom in a chair and they put their pen to the paper or their fingers to the keyboard and they write. If you don't write, you're never going to have a book. And most of the writers I know say write all the way through. Start at the beginning and finish. Don't get sidetracked. Um, Don't over-edit your book as you write it because that will stop you. That's a great excuse to stop. Write that first book. Even if it never sees publication, what it does is it gives you that sense that, yes, I can write a complete book. I've got to tell you, I've been in the world of writing for years. I've had a book published. I co-authored it. But if I had to sit down and write a book by myself, I'm not enough of a writer to do that. Not yet. You have to have the discipline to put your bottom in the chair and write. And that that may be second shift. You You may have a day job, and you may have to give something up in order to write. Writers give up other things in order to have the time to write. Mm. What what would you recommend? Um, is an hour not enough time? Should you put aside? I know it, it would have to fit into the schedule, but to get some quality output, is there a you know, time look frame? At it this, look at it this way, Charlotte. If you wrote a page a day, and you could do that in an hour, if yeah. you wrote one page a day, you'd have a book in one year. Think about okay. that. You well, know, actually, that's, yeah, that's what prompted the question because um, – You've heard um, you've heard them say if you're a writer, write at least one sentence a day. Mm-hmm. Write a paragraph a day. Write a page, you know, but write something and keep that flow going. Absolutely, and keep your time. You know, I, I was reading an interesting manuscript today by someone who's writing a book about being overweight, and okay. one of the things she says is, is most people who are overweight spend a lot of time giving to other people, and she said if you're the kind of person who Sets a time to go to the gym three times a week, but if your children call and they need something, or if your grandchildren need babysitting, or if your friend needs a ride to the doctor, you'll interrupt your gym time. 
chances are you're not the kind of person who's ever going to lose weight. You have to you have to own your time, your healthy time. Well, right. it's the same thing with writing. You have to own your writing time. I I think I said this last time. I I know a writer who got up at four o'clock every single morning, and she wrote between four and seven a.m. And then she woke her kids up and got them ready for school and got on with her day and went to work and her husband went to work. But 4 to 7 every day, everybody knew not to bother her. That was her time to write. I know another writer whose books are now being made into a series on, um, I I don't know if it's Netflix or it's one of the other online, uh, maybe Amazon, but his books are being made into a series, and he gave up television. He, He... added up the number of hours he watched television every week and said, if I just don't watch television, I can write my books. And his fourth book was published, and the books were bought to put into a TV series. Fantastic. Here's a question, because I run into this, and and you know I have a lot of authors on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, what if you have a great story, or what if you have a very high level of expertise, and verbally you can really deliver and you sit down and you purge all of this information out of you You sit down you identify who you are and what your audience is and you just sit down and you just push right through without stopping to edit and making it laborious but just to get it down on paper at the end what if you know you have this great story but you're not the best with grammar punctuation and spelling how difficult is it to find a really good editor to take care of that end of it for you? It's easy and it's difficult. There are wonderful editors out there. We have, in our stable, we have three or four that we refer to regularly, and I just, I just met with another one this morning that I'm going to add to our stable of editors. Okay. But it has to be the right editor for you. Here's part of the problem. I said this last time. You've got people... Now that publishing has been democratized and so many people are self-publishing, you've got a lot of people who have hung out shingles saying, we're here to help you. We're editors, we're book designers, we're cover designers, we're publishers, we're publicists, we're this, we're that, we're book shepherds. I hate that word, we're book shepherds. Um, And um, they're not. They don't have the expertise to do these things. Just because somebody was an English teacher doesn't mean they're an editor. And there are different kinds of editors. If you've written a book and it, it, it's got nuggets in it, it's got everything you want in it, but you've sort of vomited on the page and the book needs tightening. A lot of it needs to be cut. Or it's disorganized. Or you have a lot of, of kind of jumbled thoughts in it. You need a really good content editor. You need somebody okay. who can take all that great material that you put there and organize it and make it into a coherent read. If you um, simply need grammar and punctuation, you need a copy editor. Now, most people need both. When you read a book from a best-selling author who has 15 or 20 or 25 New York Times bestsellers out there, you better believe their book has gone through at least three edits before you see it. Okay. So just because your first draft is not wonderful doesn't mean there isn't the bones of a great book in there so they can see the value and the promise of marketability. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So, hypothetically, here I, I've identified, I've written my book, I've 
cleaned it up. I've hired people. Um, and I imagine price would be a factor in determining who the best person is for you as well. As oh, let's far as talk about an editor. that for editing. Editors, very, very often editors will charge anywhere from 40 to $100 an hour. I don't let my clients sign with an editor who charges hourly. My clients work with editors who will read the first chapter of the book, give the manuscript kind of a peek, and then say, okay, I am estimating that it is going to cost this much for me to edit your book. So that, and they can go you know, 500 over, 500 under. But this way, you don't all of a sudden get hit with a, book, uh, a bill for $12,000 for editing your book. Right. Okay. So it should be a project price, not by the hour, and certainly not 40 it, to 100 Exactly. It should be a project price with a small window. In okay. case, you know, the editor hasn't read the whole thing, and maybe chapters 13 and 14 are an absolute disaster, and she's going to spend more time there than she imagined. All mm-hmm. right, give her a little window but no more than that. Is there a comfortable way to approach this uh, discussion or negotiation at the beginning? Of course. You just say to the editor, what, editor, what I would like is a project price on this. I understand you charge hourly, but I'd like you to give me a, an estimate on, the, on what you believe your price is going to be. Okay. And then when they and come back with the estimate, if you accept it, you say, okay, I would like to accept this estimate with a small window. Okay. And that the would other, allow... The other thing is, is even if you have to pay them to do it, have an editor edit a difficult chapter and see if they improve it and maintain your voice. If they dramatically improve it and maintain your voice, they're the editor for you. If they rewrite it as their own, then they're not the editor for you. I like that better. I like that because it's if for a, a small investment... If they're, if they're charging $40 an hour, for $40, you can learn that this is not, that this either is the right person for you or it's not the right person for you, saving you thousands upon thousands. So. Absolutely. Never just hire an editor without getting a taste of what it is that they do. Okay. So moving forward into the future, it's all polished up. We have our book cover. Um, that's a good question. Okay. I'm going to How take you-, you backwards first. Okay. You get an idea for a book. You look at your book and you, you look at your idea. You ask yourself who your audience is, mm-hmm. and then you say to yourself, what will my marketing plan for this book be? Okay. Because you wear two hats. Even if the major publishing houses publish your book, you wear two hats. On the one hand, you're just a writer. You're an artist. On the other hand, you're a business person, and you better have an idea of how to sell that book because when it comes down to it, the person who's going to sell that book is you. Even the people who hire me to promote them and their books, ultimately they're selling their book. When they're on media, when they're doing blogging, everything that they do, they're selling their book. So you better have a marketing plan as to how you're going to sell that book. And if you can't foresee selling a minimum of 5,000 copies of your book, don't plan on publishing it. Okay. So where does the cover come in with the marketing plan? The co- it's while you are, if you're going to publish through a major publishing house or even a mid-sized publishing house, 
They'll design the cover and the interior. You have nothing okay. to do with that. They'll make all those decisions. But okay. if you are self-publishing, as you finish the manuscript and it goes, into, goes to the editor, you start working with someone to design that cover. You may even decide to design that cover, have that cover designed earlier because the cover is going to help inform your website. It's going to be what gets you into distribution. Your cover is going to serve a lot of purposes along the way. So the earlier you're comfortable, if you are self-publishing, the earlier you're comfortable getting your cover designed, the better. Are you saying that that's an excellent way to build a platform to generate interest and you can always say available soon or, or coming in no, Absolutely. You know, September Absolutely. and then that gets your, your base going? Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, when you, let me give you an example. If you are self-publishing, you're, you're going to want distribution. Unless you are you know, doing Create Space on Amazon mm -hmm. uh, or something like that, you're going to want to have a distributor. A distributor when they represent your book to Barnes & Noble and Books A Million and um, all the other bookstores, they don't bring your book. They have a notebook with the covers of the books that they are representing. Interesting. And so they're going to need the cover of your book, and they have to sell into the stores seven months in advance of your book being out there. If you're going to put your book, if you're self-publishing and you want your book up online for pre-sales, it should have a cover with it. So the cover goes up with the book online for pre-sales uh, at least six months before the book is published. So okay. you want your cover done fairly early. And again, the cover will inform your website. You're going to want to have a, your website done so that um, you can start doing media, you can put chapters of your book up there, you can start blogging. And... The, if you're going to write more than one book, of course, the, website, the, the book cover is not going to be the website, but the aesthetic of it is going to inform the website. The designer is going to want to see, a good designer is going to want to see the cover of your book. Okay. Got you. Okay. So with regard to the publishing team, who does what? Who's on Who's on second? Who's on third? Um, what are the players? I like the, I like the reference to Abbott and Costello. So I do, who's too. Doing I what? do, too. Um, okay. You're the writer. You're first, all right? Then comes okay. the cover designer. The cover designer is going to create the aesthetic for the book, and that's very, very important. We just got done, just today, we finished a cover that probably took five weeks to perfect Sometimes it's shorter than that. This particular cover took five weeks to perfect. The author had certain things he wanted evoked by the cover. I had certain things I wanted evoked by the cover. We drove the poor designer nuts. She's an outstanding designer. She, she gave us more renditions of this cover, than, but what we got today was beautiful, absolutely stunningly beautiful. It evokes the whole story. And... Mm. Um, you want to take your time with your cover. You don't want to be rushed with it. So mm -hmm. you're, you're writing the book. Get your cover design done. Then the interior gets done. Now you can begin making the choices for your interior design fairly early on. Let's say you know you're writing a book set in the Greek Isles. Mm -hmm. You're going to maybe choose a different interior font 
than you would if you were writing a chiclet book. And okay. that would be different than if you were writing a fantasy novel. And that would be different than if you were writing a how-to on dieting. So the interior of the book, again, just like the cover, is reflective of the story. Are you, where do you want the chapter headers put? Are you going to have a, a, an icon with each chapter header? Where do you want the numbers placed on the page? Where do you want the title of the book and your name, or do you even want them at the top of each page? Um, all of mm. that comes into play when you're designing the interior. So a good designer will give you three or four different ideas for interior design, and you mm. may sit there and look at all of them next to each other and say, oh, well, I love the way the chapter header is here where it's placed, but I like the font in that chapter header better. Right. And I really like the way you put the numbers here on, on sample two, the page numbers, but I like those little curly cues you put next to them on sample four. So then it becomes an a la carte, mix and match kind of thing. Yes. And you come up with your interior design that co is complemented by your cover design. Okay. All right. And Interesting. If, 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 if you can get the same interior designer as cover designer, that's perfect. Now, here's a caveat. And I, am I talking too much here? Nope. All right. I'm with well, you. Here's a caveat. The, um, you need a book designer. Your graphic artist best friend should not be designing your book cover because there's an artistry to designing a book cover. Now, your graphic designer best friend may do the artwork that's going on the book cover, but book design takes into account the size that everything has to be, how the mm -hmm. spine wraps around, mm -hmm. how the spine fits the number of pages that are going to be in the book. So you absolutely need a seasoned cover and, and interior designer to do a book. Um, okay. Interior design means a certain number of words per line so that the eye can actually read comfortably, a certain size and type of font. It means that the, that the print does not bleed into the fold mm -hmm. or go too far out into the margins or too high or too low. There's mm -hmm. a real artistry to book design. And so you really need to have a professional book designer do the interior and the cover, and if that can be the same person, you get a more unified look. Yes. I've, I've seen several books. I was in the bookstore uh, not too long ago and was shocked that the font in the one book I was looking into was really small. Mm -hmm. And I, I just thought, what, a, what an interesting choice for that, because it was a rather thick book. Wouldn't you? I know they probably wanted to save space and you know printing costs, but that was a really small font, and I felt that was an unwise choice. Do you feel it's better to have a more comfortable font and pay more to publish it? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I, you know, I'm old now, and I wear glasses. And mm. if I sat down and I tried to read a book, and the font was uncomfortable for me, no matter how good the book was, I wouldn't buy it. Yeah, I have to take my glasses off now to read comfortably. Wow. It, a book, yeah. It's, I'm in my 40s, so it keeps changing and getting weird. Anyway, mm -hmm. okay. So I'm on first, cover designer and interior designer, who should be the same person and not your best friend who's good at graphic arts, but a seasoned cover a seasoned designer. A seasoned cover 
and interior designer. And then you're going to want to, if you're self-publishing, you're going to want to buy your ISBN. Those are the numbers on the back of every book that's 13 digits long. And you buy your ISBNs, and that is the that is the number that identifies your book. Okay. And it explain, identifies it all over the world. Now you can buy one ISBN further. for seventy-five or eighty dollars, and you buy ten ISBNs for under three hundred. You want to buy ten because you're going to put one on each ebook format, and you're going to put one on your on your physical copy of your book. Okay. So by the time you've bought three at full price. You might as well buy ten and have leftovers for later. Are they transferable? You mean to other people? Yes. I don't know. That's a great question. But you buy your ISBNs on Bowker, B-O-W-K-E-R dot com, and okay. you can get that information right there. I will look that up. I just thought, yeah. okay, I just bought ten ISBNs, but I only wrote five books, and I feel complete in my mission to change the world, what am I going to do with these extra five? It would be good business sense to try to transfer that, make the money back, and uh, reassign ownership. But Bowker.com, B-O-W-K-E-R.com, I wanted to go a little further into that for people who don't know what that was. Okay, so we've covered that. And so now... And then you want to apply for your copyright. And I believe you do that through the Library of Congress. But if you just... Google in applying for copyright, you can get walked right through that. You don't need to go to a service. You just go to the government website. And you apply for your copyright, and it's very simple, and it takes a couple of weeks to get. Yeah, it's very easy. I have a good at least seven of them. It's gone up in price, but it's fairly easy, and you get an official document. Um, I I recommend that people get slip sheets, those um, page protectors, get a separate binder, and put all of your – Copyright documents in one easy-to-reach place with those pages protected. That is something you do not want to lose. Um, yeah, okay, I would so suggest that you you take the originals and put them in a safety deposit or a fireproof box, and absolutely. then put the copies in 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 the book that you're talking about. Even That's better. That's something you okay. want to have no matter what, or leave them with mm-hmm. your attorney or something. Yes. Um, also, I was yeah. just going to say the average copyright the the duration is about 70 years. So when it comes to my line of products, I'm looking in my circle who I could identify as the next, who I can pass that scepter to, who can keep it going for the next 70 years after mine hits 70, because they're going to be significantly younger. Do you have any feelings about that? About passing down copyrights like that? You keep it in I've the never even thought that. about it, but I think it's smart. Well, I... I've had this copyright for 20 years. I only have 50 yet left. I'm 46. I might live another 50 years. Probably not. However, I want to have in place someone that I trust, whether it's a family member or not. And if I really want to go there, it probably won't be a family member, but someone with a lot of integrity who will acquire the copyright and keep the business intact with Mm -hmm. its original intention to help people and not just do it for the money and then do what I want. Send that money where I want it to go. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. Now I don't know um, how renewable copyrights are. That's not my field of expertise. Mm-hmm. But well, um, again, that can be found out right online where you get yes. your copyrights. I yes. know they tell you that right online. 
it's something like libraryofcongress.gov. It's easy to find, and do your due diligence and figure out what, what plan works best for you. So yeah. who's on third base, Antoinette? Well, you've got to get, if you are self-publishing, you've got to get a, um, you've got to get a distributor. Or if you don't want a distributor, you have to have somebody who does fulfillment for you. And the reason for that is there's a wholesaler. There's one or two wholesalers. And that's where the stores buy from. That's who supplies the online stores. That who, that's who supplies the physical stores, is the wholesalers. And they buy directly from distributors. They're not going to buy directly from you. So you need to get a distributor or a fulfillment house that sells to these wholesalers. Okay. And um, that's a matter of two things. Number one, a good distributor someone who is liquid and who's not going to go bankrupt and leave you with pennies on the dollar for the books that you've sold mm-hmm. is going to be um, they're going to be selective so you're going to have to have a great marketing plan for them and they're going to have to show them that you've been building your platform they want to know you know they're warehousing your books they want to know those books are going to sell because they don't make any money till those books sell and it will be the same thing with the wholesalers you know, there's a chain of, for the books, just like any other product. There's the manufacturer, that's you, the publisher. They go to the um, wholesaler, and then they go to the, I mean, they go to the distributor, then they go to the wholesaler, and then they go to the re- retailer, both bricks and mortar and online. And you've yeah. got to talk the distributor into carrying you. And um, to do that, you've got to have, a, you've got to be building your platform, and you've got to have a great marketing plan. Okay. That's a familiar process for me because I'm in the food distribution arena as okay. well, and, and it works exa- exactly the same way with the chain of command that you just had. Okay, yep. so so we can and self-publish. Go ahead. If you're, and if you're self-publishing and you want to do this, you need to have your website in place. Your website is really, really important. I think I said this last time, it's the foundation of everything. As you're writing your book, as you have your cover completed, you get your website built. And your website has a bio of you, and make that bio interesting and poignant and fun. If you want to do it in first person, do it in first person, like you're talking to the people who come to your website. But make it something that people are going to go, when they finish reading it, they're going to say, I want to meet that person. That's a cool person. You want to have data capture. You want to have links to your your Facebook and your Twitter and any other social media that you're doing. You want to have at least three or four chapters of your book on your website for people to read. And with each chapter that you put up, you want your affiliate button. You need to become an Amazon affiliate and a Barnes & Noble affiliate. Very easy to do. On the bottom of each of their websites, they tell you, there's a link where they tell you how to become an affiliate. And once you're an affiliate, you can put a button on your website. So if, I'm, if I come to your website and I want to buy your book and I press that button, not only do you get the normal amount of money you would get for the sale of that book, you get an affiliate fee because you've sent somebody to Amazon to buy the book. And I believe once you're an affiliate, if they go from your website to Amazon to buy your book and they buy anything else at the same time, yes. you get an override on that too. That's exactly how it works because you and I were on the phone and you urged me to become an affiliate so that 
through my website, if I tell the listeners, this is an excellent book, this will really help you, you can get it through my website. I now have all the books available. I am an Amazon affiliate, and that is exactly the case. And I have, I still have a list of recommended reading that I still have to add to it, but I got over 40 books onto my website, and I will make a little bit of money on every sale that that person um, makes through my click-through link. So that's, that's you know, good that's for anybody. mailbox anyone. income. If all it does is pay for a, gross, uh, a week's worth of groceries for you every month, it's wonderful. Right? Yeah. You know? It's easy-peasy money. So you want to do that. You want to have a media page so that you, you start doing radio and, 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 and uh, media mm-hmm. before your book comes out and you have links to media. On your website, and I need to caution people this too. Everybody wants to get on national media. Oh, I think my topic is perfect for um, the view, or oh, I think my topic is perfect for the talk, or this show, or that show, or uh-huh. I should count Conan. Well, here's the thing nobody's going to take you on national media unless they can see footage of you from local media and unless that footage is terrific. Okay. It has to be outstanding. So, Get some media training. Okay. That's Figure out your topics and get some media training. I have so the, okay. the privilege and the nerve-wracking job of media training someone who is huge in the world of athletics and okay. who media trains athletes for um, TV and for you know, interviews and things like that. And I had to train him because now he's written a book. And for the first time, he's going out and he's done tons of media just to answer questions about, you know, when, um, when it's March Madness or it's football season. He's forever on national media. Mm-hmm. But he had never spoken to the subjects that he was now going to speak to with his new book. And I started with the absolute basics of media training for him, what to wear, how to answer questions. I mean, it was such basic stuff. And then I apologized to him, and he had the grace to say to me, I actually learned a couple of things. Mm. You have to get all that media training because when you go on the radio, it's really nice to it's, – it's a great ego trip for most people who've never been on media before to go on media – Mm-hmm. But it has to serve a purpose. Every appearance you give should be purpose-driven. You should give the best information you could give. You should not say, and in my book, and in my book, and in my book. You should let the host say that. You let the host sell your book for you. Don't, don't do that to the poor host. Don't ruin their show by saying, in my book, 15 times. And um, you give the I've best information. I'm sorry? I've- I've been lucky with that. Most of my guests uh, trust me to uh-huh. handle the flow of the conversation, and it's worked out remarkably well. Exactly. Trust your host. I know. And- I know. I'm, I, I'm apparently the exception to the rule, but I know what's in the book because I read them, and I know what I what information I want the listeners to hear that will inspire them or educate them, and I just scope my questions in a way that pulls that information out of the author and presents it in a nice flow. But, yeah, that's very important. You're, you're an exception. 
whole yeah. um, post. By the way, this person who just wrote this book, who's huge, huge in the sports world, he wrote mm-hmm. a very spiritual book, and I need to send it to you. Oh, okay. You know my address. I do. I need to send it to you. But that said, you want your goal of being on the air is to drive people back to your website so they can learn more about you and more about what you write. So give great information and have even more information on your website for them so that you can, in integrity, at the end of an interview, say, you know what, for more information on this subject and to review everything we talked about today, check out my website. Absolutely. But if you've been great on the air, chances are people will go and check it out. They're already there halfway through the interview if you do it the right way, um, mm-hmm. is what I found. And I also remember, Antoinette, on our last segment, which was, by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen, September 2013, and it is – entitled Everything You Wanted to Know About Publishing with Antoinette Curitz. Even though some of the information may be repeated in this segment, there is a lot more additional information we are adding to the conversation. But you also mentioned the importance of blogging in that last segment. Blogging, blogging um, allows you to not only feature your thoughts and your feelings and your opinions and, 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 and introduce people to certain aspects of you, but it connects you to other blogs. And there are people out there who have enormous followings. And if you can find a way to connect to their followings and slipstream on what they've already done, you can build a database and followers that much faster. Interesting. I know an author. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I know an author who's written a beautiful book. Um, This is not... um, someone who you represented and and booked with me for the show. She, this is a fabulous book, and she's a wonderful person. But I actually subscribe for her newsletter because what she blogs about is her own personal experience and then applies the knowledge in her book to her own personal experience. And she's so open. Mm -hmm. She's so open about her journey, and she just recently moved and admitted, I was so confused. I didn't know what to do. I know I can tap in for guidance, and here's what my experience. Wait till you see what happens at the end. I was riveted to the story. I've already read the book, so there's no reason for for me really to subscribe to a newsletter. But when she personalized it on that level that you feel like you kind of know her and and you're interested in this journey – that she's taking as she does this and as she writes the second book, I thought it was a brilliant way to engage her audience her re- and keep them and retain them. People are, um, people are discerning. If you're very honest and you're sharing your feelings and you're sharing your journey and your thoughts and you're doing it in, in, in an entertaining and an informative and a valuable way, not a sales way, but an, inten- an intentionally valuable way. People will come back and they'll read your, they'll read your newsletter, they'll read your blog. Right. Um, people want to be entertained, they want to be engaged, and they want to be informed. Give mm-hmm. them all three and you'll develop followers. And a great way to get them there in the first place is to engage with other bloggers. Either have your profile put up on someone else's blog Get a review of your book on someone else's blog. Interview someone who has a blog and put their interview up on your blog and let them link to your website. There's all kinds of ways to engage someone else's followers. But let's do the numbers. 
let's say you engage with someone who has 20,000 followers, okay? Mm-hmm. And and you have no followers yet, but you engage with someone. You interview someone who has 20,000 followers, and you put that interview of that person up on your blog. Now, let's say 10% of their followers come to your blog. 10% of 20,000 is 2,000. And let's say 10% of those buy your book and become followers of yours. Now suddenly you've got 200, your first 200 followers. That's Excellent. not a bad number. Not a bad start at all. You know? Now if you do that 50 times, suddenly you've got a whole database and you've sold a lot of books. Okay. Well, let's talk money. If, if, if you're the publisher... What is it? What is it? The cost on the publisher end and the author end. Is there a, a, a good comparison for that? Okay, if you publish traditionally, and let's say you sell your book to a major publishing house, you're going to get anywhere between ten and fifteen percent of the cover price. Let's say for round numbers, you get fifteen percent which is very, very unusual. That's usually hardcover, New York Times bestselling author. But let's say you get 15%. And let's say it's a $20 book. So now you're getting $3 per book. 15% of that goes to your agent. So $0.45 goes to your agent. Now you're down to $2.65 per book. Still sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, but I have a feeling there's more coming, Antoinette. Okay, now, if you, if you self-publish that same book, printing that book is going to cost you maybe $3 a book. You are, when you sell it through bookstores, instead of making 15%, you are going to make approximately 35%. Oh, and That's when good. you go to sell back of the room, let's say you speak in, in, at your local library or you speak for your local women's group or Elks Club or wherever you speak, the only cost to you is the cost of printing that book. And let's say it's a hardcover book and you didn't print a lot of them and they cost you $3 a book, all right? And you're okay. selling it for 20 $17 a book goes into your hand. And that also gives you the latitude to discount the book or to give a kickback to the organization to do any number of things. If you Mm. are buying that book from your publisher to sell it back of the room, you are paying 60% of the cover price, which would be $12 a book. So you are making $9 less per book plus shipping. Okay, and it might not sound like a lot talking talking about one book, but multiply that by thousands, uh-huh. and you're talking some serious money. What about someone who might stand up and say, but I can't do all this and find a distributor, and it just seems like too much, I need a publisher. How can we reassure them that they can accomplish this if they go to the right people? I want to reassure them of it, uh, because anybody who starts with that mindset isn't going to do all the steps. You have to have a can-do mindset to do this. I will tell you it's not difficult. I will tell you that even if you have to have your book edited, if, even if you have to have a fairly major edit of your book, you should end up with between 1,500 
and 3,000 copies of your book, the first run that includes everything from getting your ISBNs to doing your editing to getting your design done to getting your copyright, maximum $12,500, probably closer to $8,500. And then after that, it's all gravy. Okay. You can figure if you make a 30000 which sounds huge, but it's not. If you make a $30,000 investment in your book, including PR and marketing over the first 18 months, um, you only have to sell 5,000 copies to make that money back. Wow. And if That's you can't cool. picture yourself selling 5,000 copies of your book, don't bother with it. Okay. Real quick. From start to finish, what's a reasonable amount of time um, to go from keyboard to cash, from start to finish? Okay. Let's talk about the typical business first. The typical business is not in the red, a successful business. It's not in the black for the first three to four years. Can we agree on that? Absolutely. Okay. An author should be in the black after they've sold 5,000 books. I can't say keyboard to um, I can't say keyboard to um, being in the black because I don't know how long it's going to take you to write your book. People, some people write a book in six months, and some people write a book in ten years. But once you're done writing that book, and it goes once that book is in publication, or once that book is up online for pre-sale, you should be able to recoup that in a year to eighteen months and okay. move ahead. That's not bad. Not bad at all. Okay, Some I want to move do it on. much faster. Okay. Well, I want to move on. And if, and if anybody has any questions beyond what I'm asking, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give you Antoinette's um, website address. You can get in touch with her and uh, send her some communications. Um, I want to get into what to watch out for with regard to um, both traditional and self-publishing. What are some of the fraudulent practices or dirty tricks that you've seen in both of these arenas? We just got an author. In fact, he, uh, he, two attorneys who work together. You'd think they would, you know, these are smart, smart men who have made millions of dollars over the years. Mm-hmm. And we just got them out of a publishing deal with one of the vanity presses that promises to give you everything and told them and, and charged them $16,000 and said they were printing books. And we actually hired someone to go to the, the warehouse in the Midwest, and guess what? There were no books printed. And we oh my got them out of the deal and got their money back. You have to be careful who you're dealing with. Go online and see who's complaining about people. And um, more importantly, interview, ask for referrals, but... You know, I can give you a referral, and it could be someone who I know loves me. And there, for every person who loves me, there could be ten people who hate me. But I could give you three people who love me. Everybody's got somebody who loves them. More importantly, talk to authors you know who've gone through the process and see who they've de- and and whose books you think look beautiful, whose books you think could have come from a major publishing house, and say, who did you work with? Who'd you work with? And what did it cost? Now, you may end up looking, you know, a friend may have a gorgeous book, but it may have cost him $25,000 to get just the book. You don't want to work with those people. Yes. So know what the parameters are. Know what the cost should be. For instance, a cover should cost you somewhere between 850 
and $2,000 to be designed. There are people out there who will charge you $5,000 to design your cover. Okay. You need to know what things are supposed to cost. A, um, a interior design of a book, if you don't have a lot of graphs and charts and stuff, should be between 4 and $6 a page. There are people out there charging 12 to $15 a page for pure prose. So you okay. need to know what things should cost. I, I'm glad you said that because as right before you said about the what it, would, what it should cost on average for a, a good cover by a seasoned pro, I have a young author who um, just seems to be writing check after check. So I'm going to look into that. And I, and I did have Tell her to call me. look at it. I, I actually ran it by your husband, and for just for a quick opinion, because I don't know what I'm looking for. So, um, but yeah, I will have him call you. Um, yeah, have him call me, and I'll and I'll give him some advice. We also, we had we've had two people. One person who came to us with a book she had spent a hundred thousand dollars getting designed and printed, and and it was awful. It nobody no store would pick it up. There were too many words on the page. Everything was wrong about the design. Um, $100,000 gone, and the editing was terrible. They were, it, the, the book was, the idea behind the book was wonderful. Um, the book should have had 75 pages cut out of it, she, minimum. She couldn't recoup that money? That's $100,000. No, no way. No way. She paid it. Um, nobody promised her anything. The other thing I'd like to, and, and we had another guy, an attorney from Canada, spent over $300,000. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That you, you, how much does vanity play a role here, Antoinette? Because after a certain dollar, if you have a business plan going, your marketing and business plan, after you know your idea, and and then you get down to, well, what's it going to cost me to do this? You're going to come to that, that let's say that plate and the diamond that I just drew. But how much does vanity play a role in where you're so stuck on the idea of having a book out there? And being able to say you're a published author that you don't notice that you're bleeding money, you're hemorrhaging money, and it's not going anywhere. Well, you know, my attorney friend, he had written a stellar book. I mean, his, his writing will go up against any of the New York Times international thriller writers. I, he's, he's a great writer. Um, and he's also a very, very busy attorney in Canada. And um, so he... You know, once you're in for penny, in for a pound, and he, she was a very, the woman who had him on the, on the line was a very good salesperson. He had gone online looking for someone to edit his book. He wanted someone with an American sensibility. She was an American write, uh, editor out of San Diego. Mm-hmm. And um, then she said to him, I love your book. I'm also a publisher. I'd like to publish it. And before you knew it, he was spending money on, quote, unquote, PR and marketing. Now, I've never charged anyone $300,000 for PR and marketing. If I did, I'd do it once and then retire. Um, hmm. it's, it, it was obscene. Um, and that's what, I don't think it's vanity. I think it's the promise. Okay, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. There are so many charlatans out there. There is a major publishing house that is very, very well known. And the reason I'm not saying their name is because I don't want to be sued. But they're very, very well known. And um, the, the, the owner of the publishing house is very well known. And they have set up a, what they call their, you know, their minor league publishing. And, you know, if you self-publish through this minor league publishing, you will, and, and you hit a home run, we're going to move you up to the big time. 
and people are publishing through them and spending fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollars, and they're not even printing their books. Oh my God! And people are doing this over and over and over again. It's a money mill. And this then people will go to some of these places that say, "Okay, for four hundred dollars, give us your manuscript. We'll turn it into a book." Wonderful. They do no no editing on it. The design is terrible. And they have nothing vested, none of these places have anything vested in selling your book. All they care about is upselling you with promises of PR and marketing. So you'll go in and you'll spend $400 to get your book done, and then you'll buy their silver, gold, or platinum plan and spend anywhere from fifteen to 25000 on PR and marketing that consists of sending out flyers and bookmarks and um, postcards to stores and libraries. Yeah. which promptly get thrown in the trash pail. So you've got to know what you're doing. Go to a great conference that covers the business of writing. Um, I swear this is the year I'm going to write a book on this. I swear it. So that people can buy it on Amazon as an e-book for you know, $4.98 and know what they need to know. Okay. I wanted to mention something when, when you had said ask, ask them who they've worked with. In my mind, I saw, you know, when we go to a, a medical doctor and sometimes we ask for a second opinion, and then many people encourage, ask your doctor, how many times have you performed this operation? What is the success rate? If we would take the business of publishing as seriously as we take our health, then a lot of these things wouldn't happen. Would you agree? Absolutely. Abs- absolutely. Okay. Because I think oh. we should have the self-confidence to do those things and, and do what's right for us and our life, not spend $100,000. And that was only on the book cover, right? Not even that, the no, that was just on the book. That oh, was my, on okay. creating the book. She hadn't paid anything for PR and marketing yet. Let me tell you what I do when people come to me for PR and marketing. I ask them who else they're talking to. And they always get a little skittish, and I'll say to them, well, I want you to talk to at least two or three other really good publicists. Because this is a marriage, and I want you to be able to make an informed decision. Mm-hmm. But this is what you should be looking for. If you're hiring someone to do PR and marketing for you, they should tell you how many reviews they're going to get you, how many radio shows they're going to get you, how many um, connections to blogs they're going to get you, how many posted author profiles they're going to get you. They should put all of that in writing. It is not enough to say, well, for $2,500 a month, we're going to do your PR. Make them put in writing exactly what you're going to get. And then I send them out to go and talk to a bunch of people. If they come back to me, great. If they don't come back to me, they have found someone they resonate with better. Okay. And that might save you a headache in the long run. I have something important to I'm also very, very choosy. We turn away probably, uh, gosh, well over 70% of the people who come to us. Okay. I have to add something very important to what you're saying, Antoinette, something that was brought to my attention in the recent weeks, and that is if you are going, as you have your book, you have your idea, whatever stage you're in, and you want PR, and you want someone to represent you to do what Antoinette just said, get you on media, get you on radio shows, get you on blogs. One thing you should look for is what does this include? And if they say... Well, there's, and Antoinette, you can correct my vocabulary if you like, but if you pay a monthly um, subscription fee for their services, 
and they tell you, well, we can get you on this many shows, um, again, up front, they have to tell you, well, we can get you on this many shows. It's not, well, give us, pay us for a year, and we'll see what we can do. But what I want to add to this is that if they say there is an additional fee to book you for a radio show, I am going to tell you this. I do not charge people to come on my show. I am inviting people on who provide quality content to my show who I can talk with intelligently about topics that are important for me. I never charge anybody to be on my show, and that should not be done. So if you approach a company and they say, well, there's this fee by month, and then to be booked on a show like this, it's this much, or you know, a show like that, it's this much, walk away. Because I just found out that somebody was charging people to be on my show, and I'm furious. I don't even have the words to describe it. It's a crime. It is a crime. It absolutely is. Um, the other thing is, is whoever works with you on your PR and marketing should mine you for the topics they're going to put out there. When we pitch a radio show, we give the host generally a choice of topics. We'll say, well, this guest can speak to this or this or this. They can give tips on this or strategies for that. Mm-hmm. And But we've already sat down with that guest, and we have mined their expertise. Most of the time, if somebody comes to me, once I've read their book, I can say, well, you know, I'm going to pitch you for this, this, or this. I don't do that. I give them a list of suggested topics and ask them to look at it and add their own thoughts because if I layer something onto them, they're going to be fighting to do well with it. But if it comes organically to them, if it's a subject that they feel passionate about, they're going to do a great job. Okay. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And and if you have a publicist who doesn't want to tell you who her, their contact is and, and just wants the station to call you and, and there's some sort of nebulous, okay, you're going to be on this station at this time on this show, and they'll call you. And they don't okay. give you a call-in number or anything else in case you're not by your number or your phone went out and you needed to go to your neighbor's house. They're afraid that what you're going to do is you're going to create your own database and then call these people back and book yourself the next time around. Don't work with people like that. Don't work with people like that. Got you. Well, I know that um, there are ways that we can gather this information safely and apply the advice that that we um, obtain from experts like you. I want to tell people a little bit more about you just so that they know how well you know what you're doing. Um, Antoinette not only inspired the Chicken Soup for the Soul uh, mogul, Mark Victor, Mark Victor Hansen, who got that started. She also launched a national career of psychic medium, John Edward. She's also worked with Carl Reiner, Betty White, Deepak Chopra, and her favorite, Dr. Benjamin Spock. Her insights appear on radio, TV, and in numerous articles nationwide. And I trust her to help you to develop the proper survival skills you need to navigate the field of publishing safely. As you've heard in this segment, she demonstrates it quite succinctly. So in 2001 is when you founded the La Jolla Writers Conference? I did. I did. And you had that that's coming up in November. It's time for her annual uh, Writers Conference in La Jolla, California. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about that, the people that you have enlisted to help others and help authors, and when and where? It's actually this year, October 24th to 26th. We moved it back to October, which was where we started. 
And it's in La Jolla at the um, Hyatt Aventine. It's three days, Friday through Sunday. We've got New York Times bestselling authors, agents, editors, uh, publishers, publicists, you name it. We've got people who are are successful in various aspects of the public publishing industry. We teach about the art, craft, and business of writing. We were the first conference in the country to t- teach the business of writing. And um, we cover it all. And it's very inexpensive, purposefully. No one makes any money from this. Our New York Times best-selling authors who keynote fly themselves in and um, they get no honorarium. It's a group of us who come together every year to pay it forward to aspiring authors. I love and it. you can find it online at La Jolla, that's L-A-J-O-L-L-A, writersconference.com. Okay. Thank you for mentioning that detail. And um, you're really on a mission to help people I be am. the best author they can be. You really are. And I want to point out um, the website. It's uh, LaHoyaWritersConference.com. I want to point out that um, it's a very relaxed atmosphere. It's a place where you can learn and grow and really be yourself. And if you would like to uh, learn, I know I mentioned that we had our previous conversation. In, mm-hmm. our, in the archives, if you access the September 30, 2013 conversation between Antoinette and myself, where we talked about the publishing business. If you would like to learn the difference between a New York Times bestseller and an Amazon bestseller, tune into that segment for a fascinating explanation because I didn't know it, but now I have it very clear. And I feel like, Antoinette, you took a veil and just took it off my eyes. And I see it (laughs) so much clearly now that when people tell me so-and-so is a New York Times bestselling author and I think in the back of my head, well, Antoinette says this, so, so, but yeah, I don't want to go into that again, but go and listen to that archive for that conversation, which was equally as informative as this one. And you know what? If you cannot get to the La Jolla Writers Conference, which without hubris I can say is truly one of the best conferences in the country for the 21st century writer, um, we sell uh, on, on very inexpensively. We have available on the website um, – um, CDs of classes, lectures from past conferences, and you will learn so much, so inexpensively. If you're a writer, pick up a set of them, and um, and like I said, this is not an income stream for anyone. Um, I have a day job. Pick up a set of them and listen to them while you drive, and learn more about the art, craft, and business of writing from some of the some of the greats. Everybody from Michael Connolly to Lisa Gardner to Tess Gerritsen and Debbie Maycomer and oh, the the lectures that they've given are amazing. Mm-mm-mm. That's a fantastic service to even offer people um, because you, you want the best information and you don't want to you want to be discerning. And I I know Antoinette and her husband personally, and I trust them. And I recommend you do the same if you're looking for PR. They provide an excellent service. And like she said, if you feel you don't resonate, just make sure you protect yourself and find the right person for you. What would you like to leave the audience with, Antoinette? Any final words of wisdom? Yeah, if you want to be a writer, make and take the time to put the pen to the paper or your fingers to the keyboard and write. 
Excellent. If you're a writer, you have to write. And if you're a singer, you must sing. Be who you are from soul level. That's what I say. Yes. You bet. Okay. Thank you well, for having me. It's so great to sit and talk about this stuff again, we, and we seem to have like dug even deeper. And I'm on board with helping protect authors from people who just take their money and don't provide anything. I'm happy that you hired those people to go check out that warehouse, and I think that's a very smart thing to do. Yep. I yep. have been receiving emails from authors I know about their numbers not being reported correctly from major retailers. Mm-hmm. And one, I got one today from a gentleman I had on the air last year who found out that his publisher was only giving him, I think his cut was supposed to be 70-30, and he was winding up with 10% of the 70. And he found out, he handled it and, and forgave and move on, and that's all beautiful. But I feel bad that he went through this because really, you know who, you know who's getting... You know who's being subjected to this stuff? Really nice people, not the ruthless ones. You know what I mean? Like if you're it, ruthless, that's and... the way it always is. Mm-hmm. That's the way it always is. Hire yourself a good. If you are serious, hire yourself a good CPA who's going to know how to read the books and in your contract have it written into your contract that you've got the right to check the books twice or four times a year. If you're doing. Um, if you're doing ebook publishing, think of going with something like Publish Green where they keep track of the sales for you. You pay them $1000 once and they keep and they put your books in in 40 on 40 some odd platforms, do all all the work for you and then they keep track of your ebook sales for you. But make and and here's the other thing. If you're going with a publishing house, major or or mid-size. It used to be in your contract it said, once your book is out of print for two years, um, the rights revert back to you. Well, now they keep your book in print by keeping it print on demand and by keeping an e-book up. So you never get your rights back. So instead of saying, once it goes out of print, once the book is not selling X number of copies per year in combined formats, the rights revert back to you. There are so many things to think about when you sign a contract with someone. Yes. And when you're looking for an agent, the first agent who comes to you and says, oh, yeah, I'd like to represent you, check them out. Don't be so excited to have an agent that you simply sign with anybody. Right. And if an agent wants to charge you for anything, then they're not really an agent. Agents make their money purely and simply on the sale of your book. That's good. And on your That's a good point. Okay. They well, you know what? In the beginning, anything, say no. Perfect. In the, the beginning uh, of the, the conversation, go ahead. The last thing to look out for is if you go to an agent, a lot of agents now, seeing the writing on the wall about self-publishing, are also doing an arm of their business where they help you through the self-publishing process. They mark everything up astronomically, and then what they do is they take 15% of your sales forever. Forever? Just say no. Oh, my God. There are better ways to do this. Look for the better way. Don't be afraid of self-reliance and subbing out all this work to individuals who are just going to do the work as work for hire. Okay. 
what I was, um, what I wanted to interject within the beginning of the conversation, you had mentioned. So you sell your rights to a publishing house, and um, in my, in the back of my mind, I was like, what? Like, it's not. Does that mean it's not your book anymore? They own the rights to that book, and you merely have an income based on the contract that you sign for the duration that they say. Until until that book reverts back to you, they have absolute and complete control over it. You can't even put more than, depending on the number of words they allow, you can't put more than X number of words from your own book up on your website or in your promotional material. Really? Yes. And now they have a way to prevent you from reacquiring those rights for That's yourself. That's right. They have to be very, very careful. That's, and do you that. That was what made me found the La Jolla Writers Conference back in 2001. I saw where all this was going. And I sat a group of people around my dining room table who had been teaching at conferences, and I said, I want to start a conference that focuses on the art, craft, and business of writing. And every single person at my table said, no author wants to know about the business of writing. And I said, well, they better, or they're going to, they're going to find themselves the victims of highway robbery over the next 15 years. Absolutely, and and never and get anywhere. Are. Okay, and now you said that place that monitors sales is Publish Green. Publish Green is a wonderful way to go if you're doing an ebook. Check e-book. them out. Okay, all They've right. Got all different kinds of programs. Good stuff. One final question. I I really did draw a diamond with the bases, and just just to try to get you know a starting point, and with the end point, how do you know you have a home run? How do you know your success? Lots of reviews for your book, great reviews for your book, of course, um, but also bad reviews. So long as people are reading your book and commenting on it, you're making people think. That's number one. Number two, you've made back your investment in your book. Um, that certainly is a home run. But for me, a home run is the real home run for me takes place when you finish that book and it's a work that you're really proud of. When you can say, okay, I really want to put this out into the world. I feel like I've created something I can be proud of. The reason I do what I do is because writers have given me pleasure from the time I was a very small child. I always have at least seven or eight books on my nightstand. I don't go anywhere without a book with me. Books Mm. have always been a huge part of my life. And the people who can write them, who can take us to other worlds, who can inform us about things we otherwise wouldn't be informed of, who can open the the doors and windows of our minds to the possibilities out there, they are magic. They're the magicians. They're the they're who we have to look up to. Not not people who can uh, you know who are are starlets and and celebrities. Writers yeah, do yeah. the most amazing. They keep our history. They inform us. They make us think. And um, if you've written a book, you can be proud of. You've already got a home run. Everything after that is gravy. Mm. That's terrific. Wow. Well, thank you once again. And everybody, it is LaHoyaWritersConference.com, spelled L-A-J-O-L-L-A, WritersConference.com. Go there. Learn more. Register for the conference. And arm yourself with information that will help you survive the publishing of a book, and hopefully be a great success. I wish everybody enormous success. And I have to comment that, you know, I've been working with you for a year, and you've sent me these wonderful authors, and other authors have gotten in touch with me on their own. I am astonished 
at the number of absolutely fabulous writers there are out there and these wonderful books I've had the pleasure to read over the past year. Well, keep enjoying the books. I probably give away 2,500 books a year that come in for me to look at. I probably give away to the military 2,500 books a year. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just to look at for my TV segment and stuff. But anyway, I am yeah. off to a Friday afternoon movie. You have a great time. I will talk to you soon, and thank you so much for all this wonderful information. Thanks for having me back. Talk to you soon. Bye. Always. All right. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, that's our show for today. Thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you learned a lot and managed to take excellent notes. Please get in touch with Antoinette through her website. If you have any additional questions, she'd be happy to answer your questions for you. Wonderful woman. Until next time, everyone, God bless and be at peace.